0: What's up? Lucas so evilly reminded me that um, my streak is officially broken. For years, I've always worn a baseball jersey when I speak. It makes me feel very comfortable, very relaxed, and I walked in and he helped me recognize the fact that I'm not wearing my baseball jersey, which now makes me feel very uncomfortable and not very relaxed when you're talking about anxiety and depression. So thank you, Lucas. I, I really appreciate that. Now, I'm very insecure and very unsure of myself and what's about to happen. Uh, no, it's, it's good. It's, it's a reminder to me that laugh, not everything has to be routine. Sometimes life gets a little out of control. Um, and what do we do with that? So, yes, I am a doctor, but um, I just really play one on TV. That's all I really do. Um, this is not, this, as he said, this is not a, let me tell you, professionally and research-based uh, about anxiety and depression and how to fix yourself. This is this is Brent telling you his story of um, life being hard. Um, my phrase and mantra over the last couple of years has been: "Life is hard, uh, but God is good." And that doesn't mean life stops being hard just because God is good. How are we going to get through this? How do we get through life when it's more difficult and harder than I? expect it to be. So uh, I just, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. I want to ask some questions related to scripture and answer those questions as we work through it and then uh, give you some tools. I've, I've brought some show and tell today to talk through some of the things that I use and do that God has uh, graciously taught me so that I can try to navigate this storm um, that often is anxiety and depression. Uh, let me ask a question real quick. Does anybody else get nervous when they're on stage talking? Okay, good, I was afraid I was the only one. I really. I, so here's the first thing we've learned. We're not the only ones. That's the big lie that we often face um, is that I'm the only one going through this, and I can't tell anybody because if I do, everybody's going to think I'm weird. Let me give you a definition. Normal. This is the definition of normal. Conforming to a standard, usual, typical, expected. Okay, so if I'm going to be normal, I'm supposed to conform to something that someone says this is what normal is supposed to look like. Nobody can really define what normal is. And as you've heard some of the stories of the last couple of weeks, I hope what you've heard is nobody is conforming to any form of standard. No one is typical. We're all different. Steve's story is much different than my story. Um, And I love Steve and and the story that God has used him and how he's blessed uh, his family and his journey. So I want you to look at somebody and say, you're not normal and that's awesome. Turn to somebody right now and say, you're not normal and that's awesome. All right, so now that that we've gotten normal kind of out of the way. Because one of the expectations, one of the things that creates anxiety and depression is this idea that I have to get to normal. I have to get to a certain standard and it's unreachable. It's unobtainable. Um, and, and part of my journey is my mind. Um, my mind runs about 150 miles an hour in about a 35 mile an hour speed limit zone. Um, there's some benefits. God's very gracious, but there are also some negatives in that. And I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in my story. So let me tell you about my story. Um, my diagnosis with anxiety and depression didn't really happen. Nobody figured it out until I was in adulthood. Uh, but I can go back and tell you that I had it when I was in middle school and high school. Um, I had major anger problems. Major. I can remember every, year, every morning of my freshman year of high school, yelling and screaming at my mother in the Suburban that we drove. I would just be yelling and screaming at her. I would slam the Suburban door, storm into the school, and then yell and scream at my girlfriend for the first period. And then I'd finally calm down after second period and get on with my normal life. I thought that was just frustration, anger. I now can look back and tell you that one of the masks of depression especially in guys, is anger. Um, we don't typically go down in the dumps. We usually get mad and angry and we'll act out um, as a sign of need. Where, where did that come from? Why was I angry all the time? Well, again, you have to just kind of evaluate life and what was going on. Uh, raging hormones, in case you didn't know teenagers have those. Um, that may be shocked to some of you. Uh, my dad was never around. My dad and my mom were married. Uh, but they pretty much lived divorce. I did not realize that until I got to college. And in my freshman year of college, I would call my mom and talk to her for an hour and 15 minutes and explain everything that went on for the entire week and then call my dad and realize he had not talked to her at all and I'd have to repeat the whole thing all over again for another hour and 15 minutes. And then I started picking up on the idea was like, wait a minute, how, often has it been? how long has it been since my mom and dad actually talked? I couldn't remember that in high school. And now looking back on it, I can pinpoint to the moment where the split happened. I get it. I understand it. But my dad was never around. He worked 16-hour days, seven days a week. And now I realize why. One, he was a workaholic, which I have that same tendency, but also he didn't want to be around my mom. Um, He was trying to avoid her. Um, My mom was very controlling, um, but she had no real knowledge of what it meant to go through adolescence. Um, She did not, she had a brother, but she didn't understand how to raise boys. Um, and so I was kind of left on my own to try to figure this thing out Um, that whole puberty talk you know I know it's kind of an awkward conversation we're having right now my mom threw a book at me and said let me know if you have any questions I mean that's kind of where this that's how my journey into adolescence started Um, there was no real partnership in figuring this whole thing out I was left to my own demise Um, and it showed I was very awkward all through high school trying to figure it out I was lonely. Uh, I had a high school girlfriend that I absolutely uh, loved. I spent two and a half years in a relationship with her. She, we broke up, very mutual. Um, she ended up dating my high school best friend, ended up marrying him. Uh, she actually sang at Melissa and I's wedding. We were that close. Um, and so, uh, it's, I know that doesn't happen very often when your high school sweetheart gets to <laughs> sing at your wedding, uh, but... Melissa was cool with it I'm still good friends with them very sweet um, sweet family but even having a very committed girlfriend I was lonely because I didn't have any friends Um, the high school best friend I just mentioned was there for one year and then moved to California I lived in Texas (laughs) we didn't have cell phones and text messaging back then it cost a fortune to call long distance uh, and have those conversations so the one friend I had uh, never talked uh, ever he didn't talk i mean literally did not talk he came. just tell you a quick story about how much he did not talk when i was in college he came to visit my freshman year or a little no it wasn't freshman year it was junior year he came to visit melissa and i were dating and we decided to double date okay so melissa brings one of her friends and we bring uh paul's his name we went on a double date i had to answer all her questions for him because he would look at me and say you talk i'm not talking like he literally does not talk so You see how much I talk and how energetic I am? That's, it was not happening with this guy. So I was very, very much alone. He was the only friend that lived in the neighborhood. So there's no Facebook, there's no social media. You hung out with who was in your neighborhood. He was it. So I was like, guess what, dude? You get to be my friend. Um, That's it. So uh, basically his house was my escape route. I, I tried to get to his house as often as I could. I knew at 16 I wanted to move out. I was trying to figure out ways. I just didn't want to be under... Um, that controlling, unknowledgeable mother. Um, Now, my mom, I will say, somewhat in her defense, she did the best she could under what she knew. Um, But just to put it in perspective, we've been in Georgia now six years. She's come twice, and I haven't talked to her. A legitimate conversation in seven months, probably. And I have two grandkids. She has two grandkids here, and we just don't talk. My dad hasn't called in six or seven months. Um, I, last time I talked to him on the phone was September. I mean, that's just that's loneliness. That's what I live in. Um, and then imagine marrying my wife, uh, whose family is all up in our business. Um, they moved here uh, last year. It's been a year now. Um, she's the only child. And they 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 when they first moved here, they didn't even knock on the door. They just walked in. Talk about an anxiety attack when you've never had anything like that in your life. Loneliness. Uh, Back to teenage, I I went through identity crisis. I was really good at band. I was a tuba player, first chair all-region, seventh and eighth grade year. Um, I was state. We had Baptist Texas All-State. So we're Texas so big, even the Baptist had their own All-Region. I was Texas Baptist All-State in tuba my freshman year uh but having the athletic letter jacket was what i thought was success and i didn't have an athletic bone in my body Um, but i tried basketball i loved basketball Um, i ended up being a football manager and slugged water at my friends just so i could get the football letter jacket with the band and the one-act play and the national honor society on it but it looked like an athletic jacket therefore i looked like an athlete Um, i was trying to be cool But imagine trying to be cool and trying to be godly at the same time. You're a hypocrite. You're a fake. Everybody knows it. Nobody wants to hang out with you. Because on one end, you're cussing and trying to be like the boys. You don't have a girlfriend that's going to do that kind of stuff. You don't really want to do that anyway because you're trying to be godly, but you're just trying to play everybody's hand and make everybody happy and you're making nobody happy and you're miserable. But I have nobody to navigate for me and tell me, dude you're really good at drama you're really good at production you're really good at video stuff you love acting and make a fool out of yourself on camera and on stage go be good at it you like to sing go sing your heart out who cares if anybody thinks you're weird you're gifted nobody told me that nobody cared nobody nobody was around so i had to go through trying to figure out who am i and what i am i got saved when i was in seventh grade because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I'd grown up in church my whole life. I felt called to ministry my sophomore year of high school. And the reason I I surrendered to ministry, and it was more of I volunteered for two reasons. One, there was a video series that I watched, and it it was uh, Experiencing God. Some of you may have gone through that study, it's old now. But he said, if you don't do God's will for your life, you'll find someone else to do the job. So imagine having anxiety no identity, you're going through identity crosses, you're slightly depressed because you're lonely, and you're hearing this voice of, God may just leave you at McDonald's living hamburgers for the rest of your life, because that's really what I believed. If I didn't surrender to God's will, I was just going to be stuck at McDonald's, and actually Chick-fil-A, because that's where I was working. I was working at Chick-fil-A, doing waffle fries, because that's what Jesus' people do, right? Um, so I surrendered to ministry under that pretense. I really wanted God. I needed God, um, I needed God to love me. I needed God to tell me who I am. I needed God uh, because I wasn't getting it anywhere else. Um, I, church was my safe place. Um, I walk, My church was about half a mile down the road from my house. I walked to church um, from seventh grade on. My parents stopped going to church. My dad was working 16, 17-hour days. My mom was hit or miss. Uh, And so I was the only one going to church. I walked to church Sunday morning. I walked to church Sunday afternoon. I walked to church Wednesday night. I was there all the time because it was safe for me um, because I was struggling trying to figure it out. So again, high school, nobody goes, oh, you have anxiety and depression. Let's fix you now. Let's help you. Nobody knows. Uh, When I was in high school, uh, there was a place called Meadowview in our town. And so that's where crazy people went. And so you um, like kind of like a state hospital type thing. You went there for detox and different things. The thought process was if anybody, if you, if you have anxiety or they find out, they're going to put you on medication they're going to send you to Meadowview. And so it was like, okay, don't, that just wasn't our conversation. We didn't even know that existed. In college, still went through the identity crisis, looking for love and affection. Um, didn't make any major mistakes or sins in that regard, but just constantly floundering. Um, went to a his school, just like shorter um, met Melissa at the right moment because I just finally quit. I gave up. I gave up trying and I just said, God, I'm done. I'm done trying. I need you to figure this out for me. Just figure it out because I'm not coming up with these solutions on my own. One month later, Miss Baskin showed up. And if she would have met me the month before, she would have never gone out with me because I was a complete jerk. I just didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to talk to girls. I mean, I didn't because all my scripts were be a playa. You know, and we're like, what? What does that even mean? But that's, we, we played, you know, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game. And it was just, that was the world we, it was weird. And I'm a sophomore religion major trying to be a youth minister doing that. It, like I said, I didn't need crisis. It just doesn't make sense. And so those are the scripts that I followed watching guys older than me, and they were getting to date girls, and they were pretty. And I'm like, I want to do that too. So maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Um... And then finally, just like I said, quit. And then a month later, Miss Baskin showed up, and, and I told Miss ba- Melissa, I said, you know what, I just want a friend. I'm done with this dating thing. I just want to have fun. That's all I want to do. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go get a master's degree in developmental psychology, adolescent psychology specifically, and I'm just, I'm done. And then two weeks later, we're holding hands. Three months later, we're talking about rings, and six months after that, we're engaged. <laughs> so uh, year, a year later, we got married because her parents would have killed me if we'd have gotten married any sooner. So... Uh, But it was when I gave up and let God handle stuff is when things started going right. So let's talk about diagnosis. When did this um, start really coming to full? The first signs of real depression where I was first medicated uh, was in adulthood. We were at seminary. Um, Major trauma change for us. There's like 10 major traumas One of them was a job change. That's a major trauma. Divorce is a trauma. Death's a trauma. Moving is a trauma. They're hard transitions. We went through job and death and moving all within about four or five months of themselves. I went in the tank, just dumps, just I'm in school, but my head is a complete cloud. I can't think straight. The personality, just woohoo, here I am. All that's gone. Hello, I'm Brent. I'm just trying to make it through the day. I don't even, don't even ask me to make a decision. I don't even know what to, I I have no idea what's going on. Maybe I can get through this class. That was me. That's that's how I thought. That's how I acted. That was my personality. Real lethargic, tired all the time. So we went to the doctor, actually went to the doctor in Arkansas. We were at a funeral for Melissa's grandmother, um, her dad's mom. I had already lost an uncle to cancer way too early. Um, I was in my early 20s. Um, He died of colon cancer. Was there through hospice for about a week just watching all that go down. It was horrible. Um, So we've gone through all these major issues, major traumas, and that's when the doctor was like, you have depression and I don't blame you for having depression. Um, Let's put you on a medication to get you back right. and then we'll see how you are in six months, and so they put me on an antidepressant to get through it, cleared the cloud, felt better, um, and so after six months, I was like, I don't need this anymore. I feel good. I'm, I'm back where I need to be, and so we weaned off. Um, it was a few years later that the first major panic attack happened. I started having panic attacks. Um, we were in Texas at the time. Lauren had just been born, so she's She's about a year old. Most of y'all know who Lauren is. Um, what it felt like. What is a clock? Well, it feels different for everybody, I think. But for me, it was like uh, having vice grips on your, on your rib cage and in, on your abdomen. Everything just started tightening up and squeezing on me. I couldn't breathe. Some people say it feels like a heart attack. I don't, I know most of us have never felt what a heart attack feels like. But they say it feels like you're having a heart attack. People will go to the emergency room and say, I'm having a heart attack. And what really they're having is a panic attack. They're just having anxiety. But it feels like I can't catch a full breath because everything's just tight. Everything's squeezed. Why was I having them? Well, I have to go back and think. Because um, in the moment, you don't know, well, this is why I'm having one. I felt completely out of control in life at that moment. Um, our church was going through a financial crisis, which meant the risk of losing a job with a child that had just been born. We were in a church housing, which means I was also going to lose my house. We had just gotten there; we had barely been on the job a few months, and all the um, historically there was the housing pop of 2007. Um, most of y'all won't remember that, but housing markets went just in the tank. They were this price, and then they were way below. And, our, and with that, giving went down for the church. So it was terrifying. Um, again, I was able to receive medica- medica- medication, uh, but felt completely out of control and f- afraid. Um, there was a little, there's, there's layers to this. So let me tell you an additional story. These are the big ones. So that was just a, I can't breathe. This is where I lost it. I mean, I just completely lost it. Um, we had just moved here. We were here about a year. Here were my expectations moving to Rome. My expectations were Rome was going to save me. I really believed that moving here was going to be the grand heaven of my life. I was in a very, very difficult church situation. Lauren was in that youth group. Um, the, the church was, the stories we could tell, you could write a fiction book, and they'd still go, this is, this is unbelievable. The things that we went through as, as a family and in that church uh, were Mind-boggling. Every day is an adrenaline rush trying to survive. Spiritual battles every which way. So we thought, we're leaving that. I'm going to finally get the doctorate. I have achieved everything that I had had my hopes and dreams on. Uh, Eleven years of pursuing this. It has finally all arrived. We're in Rome. We are set. Things are great. We have a wonderful house. (sighs) Right? Just breathe. It's going to be heaven. It was anything but. It was hard life had not stopped um and so we got here and um i needed a root canal that was that went bad um shorter (laughs) wasn't everything that we had hoped it would be it was really really hard things were not always great money was not what we expected things got hard so i have a preconceived expectation of perfection normal right? What was normal? Conforming to a standard, typical, or expected. I have an expectation. I put all my chips, my entire life was staked on that idea that this was going to be the answer to all my problems, this life circumstance, and it went completely unmet. So I went to the dentist to get a root canal. I've had one before. It's not that big a deal, But they put the medication on, the Novocaine. I did not know at the time that Novocaine increases your heart rate. In case you didn't know that, now you know. That heart rate went fluttering. I have already had major stressors going on in my life in that week. So I've had some other traumas going on. Unmet expectations. That heart rate sent me into orbit. Absolute orbit. There's a thing called fight- fight or flight, I went into flight mode. My body said, we're done. I went, I was trying to leave and I felt it coming and I said, I can't even leave. I had to go back. It was mom power, You know, something called, it was mom power's dad, freaked him out, passed out in the room, woke up and said, and realized, oh no, this is the end. I have finally hit it. Here's why. When I first got married, my dad at our wedding almost didn't make it to our wedding my dad went into a chemical depression his body could not handle the stressors in his life could not handle his spouse or relationship his mother was really really sick his son was about to get married um, and he was working those 16 hour days seven days a week his body said we're done and he went into a chemical depression and was in it for over two and a half years couldn't go to work, long-term disability. For the first year, he couldn't even get out of bed. He literally crawled out of bed to a recliner. And then he would crawl back into bed, and that was his day. My dad's six foot, 270 pounds, just a bulk of a man, and he's just to nothing. And so in my mind, remember, normal expectations completely omit. I'm now going the complete opposite end, 150-mile-an-hour mind running. I wake up from that passing out and go, I've just turned into my father and I lost it. Fetal position, crying, screaming, I'm done, I've just ent- I'm yelling, I've just turned into my dad. Melissa has to come get me, they have to wheel me out in a wheelchair to get me to the car, take me to my house, to my bed, screaming, crying, because crying actually helps, makes you feel better, soothing. Melissa's calling the doctor going, you gotta get him in, you gotta get him in. They get me in, and um, I don't even want to go to the doctor. I'm in the car screaming, don't take me. Don't make me go. Don't make me go. I'm turning into my dad. I'm turning into my dad. Uh, so I get there and Melissa begins to pray. And I can tell you the moment. I said, somebody else is praying for, uh, for me, right? She goes, yeah, there's a couple people praying for you. My body went completely calm again. I could just tell people were praying for me. It was in that moment that um they put me back on a medication but it went a step further this time he said you've had a lot of ups and downs you've had ups and then you've been on the medication and you've had ups and then you've been on the medication he said it might be time for you to go talk to a psychiatrist there may be more going on than just depression and anxiety because of my dad's history um, they had diagnosed my dad as bipolar but my dad is not bipolar that's my professional opinion he doesn't show any of the symptoms Um, I think he's just a workaholic and he's overworked and he just doesn't know how to manage life. Um, And that's kind of where I was because I've had no home life that taught me how to to do life. I was 40, 38, 40, learning how to be be an adult. Nobody ever taught me how. Um, And so I went to the psychiatrist. We tried a bunch of different medications. Oh, they made my stomach hurt, um, made me loopy. Um, But with psychiatry, it's trial and error. Um, they, they listen to your symptoms. They ask you questions, and then they try to figure out which one fits you best. Um, this one is the one that I take, but it's, it's temporary. They never found a long-term solution. What helped me was getting my head right, not by medication, but by fighting and not accepting what I thought was normal. I had to relearn normal, not based on everybody else's expectation, but what God had created me to be normal. I had to learn who I was. At 38, I had to go through an identity crisis and figure out what, does, what, does Brent, what is Brent supposed to look like. Brent needs to learn how to rest because he works too much. Brent's mind needs to slow down because he thinks too much and he overthinks. Um, so that was the first big panic attack. And that's when I started going through the psychiatry. I had to start reprogramming my brain to think differently. I also learned um, that there were some traumas that I had never gotten over. Uh, Lauren told you she was one, but what I didn't tell you was the reason how we got to Texas. I've kind of mentioned to you briefly for those of you who heard me before. In 2004, January 11th, 2004, not January, excuse me, July 11th, 2004, I was at an altar praying to God, this is your youth ministry. You can do with it what you want. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing youth ministry the way everybody else wants me to do it, I want to do it your way. July 12, 2004, pastor calls me into his office that morning and said, you're fired. you got two weeks to get out. Melissa was seven months pregnant with Lauren. My birthday is on July 17th. What a great birthday present. July 18th, I resign. July 18th that afternoon, Lauren, or Melissa's leg is the size of mine. If you haven't seen Miss Baskin, she's five foot tall, about a hundred, less than 100 pounds. Her leg should not be this big. We go to the doctor, they'd run some tests. We go to another doctor, they run some tests. Go back to the doctor on Wednesday, they'd run an ultrasound, um, and they say, hey, guess what? Lauren's coming this weekend if we can get her here because she's having major complications. So Lauren's a, seven, a seven-week preemie, um, had major issues. When she was born, she was a one, zero meaning dead, ten meaning fully alive. She was a one. Um... She's a rock star now. She has no medical complications other than asthma. Um, I won't go too much more into her story because she would kill me. Um, but that was all, that was a heavily traumatic experience. But because I'd been fired, I went into fight mode trying to find another job to take care of my family and I never ever recovered from it. I never got over it because I never even took the time to process. I did not process that experience. Until a year and a half ago, I carried it with me for 14 years. And then the day I finally processed it, I bawled like a baby. It was the scariest day of my life. But I had not realized that was a problem until I had gone through all this mess. One more panic attack. Uh, February of last year, uh, Lauren and Kylie and I were in Greenville, Tennessee, for a D-NOW weekend and um, and my stomach just went nuts, hurt, panic, nausea, and I was supposed to speak at a D-NOW weekend like i 'm speaking to you. I had to speak three times. I barely made it. I was miserable. I wanted to go home as fast as I possibly could, but I was four hours away, and I had Lauren and Kylie with me, and they couldn 't drive. <laughs> And they were in my truck and I was like, I can't leave. And I'm miserable, I just wanna go home. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and so I was on heavy doses of this. This is temporary, this is Xanax. Um, cause this is what the psychiatrist give me cause it hadn't happened long-term. So I was on a couple of these to try to get through it. And um, went back home and started going to every doctor I could because it wasn't all mental. I had a mental clean bill of health I I didn't know what was going on because I thought it was my anxiety creeping back up. Went through every test and then went to the gastroenterologist for for my stomach and learned, this is something I did not know, that what goes on up here is the exact same thing that goes down here. So if you ever get butterflies in your stomach or you get nervous or your stomach gets in knots when you get nervous before you go on stage, the reason that you have anxiety is called serotonin. your body releases it, it's extra, and it's up here. But I didn't know it's also down here. And so what, my anxiety, what I thought was my anxiety up here was actually my anxiety down here, <laughs> which is why I have these. Um, and acids. I did not realize that what I was eating and putting in my body was actually causing some of my anxiety issues too. And so my anxiety and depression has multiple layers to it. Some of it's life, some of it's trauma, and some of it's what I eat. I am still a work in progress, people. I am forty-one. Am I forty-one yet? No, I'm not forty-one yet. I'll hold on to the forty for a little while longer. But I'm not perfect. Um, I I walk into my Old Testament class, and I deal with freshmen, most of who have never read the Bible a day in their life. And I walk in terrified every day that I'm going to get exposed as a fake, that I don't know enough about the Bible. That's a complete lie they don't know anything about it either um I could make stuff up and sometimes I do (laughs) um because I'll walk out of class and go you know what I think I just told them something wrong about the Bible and I'll say God forgive me Holy Spirit work in ways I cannot see um so let me let me give you a couple of scriptural things uh let me give you a couple of helps and then um I'm gonna give you some time to ask some questions okay All right. So, question number one, or let me give you first question is: Does is depression and anxiety in the Bible anywhere, Um, or is this just us? It actually is in the Bible. Um, Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. uh, He's terrified. He's just fought the 450 prophets of Baal, and afterwards he goes off in the desert and basically tells God, "I just want to die. I'm terrified of her. I'm alone." I'm the only one. So he's afraid and he's alone. David in Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wait a minute. Is that in the New Testament too? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does anybody remember who else said that in the New Testament? Jesus said it. Yeah. Hmm. Is God really turning his back on him? No. You have to read Psalm 22 and realize he's very depressed. He's alone. He's afraid because he's being attacked by his enemies. But if you read the end of Psalm 22, it says, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the world about my God and all nations are going to be blessed and everyone's going to be saved, um, have an opportunity for salvation because of God's faithfulness to me and to his people. But he's terrified, but he knows promise and hope. David, depressed. Jonah, Jonah and Jonah chapter 4. We did Jonah, I think, last year, if I remember. Yep. Uh, Jonah is angry in Jonah chapter 4. He's mad and angry at God. I would argue that he's slightly depressed because he knows he's, in, he's completely lost control. God is doing exactly what God had said he was going to do, which is relent against the Assyrians and allow them to repent. And, de- and he's, just, he's depressed because he's like, I want these people to die and I can't get my way. Um, so I think he's dealing with some issues. Jeremiah... In chapter 20, is depressed. He's known as the weeping prophet. In Jeremiah chapter 20, he's facing massive opposition for doing the right thing. You can be absolutely good at what you do. You can be perfect. You can walk the right way. You can do everything the right way and still be depressed and anxious. Sometimes we just can't fix it. Life just hits us. He's facing a major traumatic issue. His entire life is about to go away. Babylon's about to come in and attack and wipe them completely out. Uh, Jesus already told you, quote Psalm 22. Uh, if you know anything about him being in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, Gethsemane, he says he drops sweats of blood. The, 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 he's sweating blood. That means the capillaries in his brain, around his forehead, are popping because of the stress and anxiety that he's under. He's under a major amount of stress in this moment because he knows what's about to happen to him. It says that his uh, disciples were sorrowful and asleep in their sorrow Um, as well. um, Crying can put you to sleep. That's why you always get sleepy after you cry. I would suggest that possibly Peter was a little manic. Um, He jumped out of a boat twice, a perfectly good boat in the water. He jumped out and just took off. He just... uh, he chopped a dude's ear off in the garden even though he was outnumbered and outgunned. He just didn't know what to do with himself. He just, ah, right? I think, I think there was issues. But here's the good news. I think God used that because he spoke to, th- to an and after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two, he preaches the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. The next chapter, or two chapters later, Acts chapter four, he speaks before the PhDs and he barely has a high school education and preaches the gospel, because it says they took note that this man had been with Jesus. Sometimes God has built us for unique purposes and gifted us. I told you, I, I work with teenagers. Um, I'm kind of crazy that way. I think God built me to be who I am. Turn with me in scripture real quick, because I do want to give you some scripture, and then we'll have a few minutes for questions. Philippians chapter 4. I think God has given us a tool in Scripture and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the tools that I've gotten here in front of me and give you some personal things to do. Philippians chapter 4. If I could give you just a walkthrough of how I think God can give you peace of mind in the midst of worrying and anxiety. Look with me in verse 4 um it says rejoice in the lord always again i'll say rejoice i think part of what we need to do is worship put our minds and hearts where it needs to be which is on god there's something bigger at work than just our problems and he is our future even in the midst of temporary sitbacks i still struggle with that mindset in reality uh, let your reasonable bliss be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Um, don't forget the good things that God is doing, even in the midst of difficult times. Um, the other thing I would do is, there are times where I try to take stuff on that doesn't belong to me. I give it back to God. That whole idea of praying is giving it to God. Verse 7 and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. The hardest thing I do in my anxiety and in my depression is have faith. Now, I'm not saying that my faith entirely heals me and cures me of my anxiety and my depression. It is who I am. It's a part of my DNA. But what I am saying is that I have times where I struggle in giving, letting God do His work in my life, and I try to play God. And get back control of my life instead of allowing him to work. I do life alongside God. God does life with me. I follow him. But there are times where I'm like, God, this is too much for you. I'll take it. And that's where my anxiety goes through the roof. But I can get through some nervous times when I'm like, okay, God's bigger than the situation. I'll trust him. He's put me in the situation for a reason. Um, and if I walk with him, I can, I can endure this and get through it to the other side. May need some help along the way, but I can do it. Okay, so let me give you a couple of things um, to help you. If you're interested in it, I'll be happy to talk with you more about it. What are some things that you can do in order to work through this? Uh, there's, uh, I'll skip that one. Uh, we talked about medication. I would do medication and counseling simultaneously. I would do both. Uh, it's a both and. Um, there's some great places to do counseling. Battlefield Ministries here is awesome. I've uh, been there. Um, There's another guy named Leandro Alzansky. He works at Shorter, but also has counseling. Um, I've also dealt with post-traumatic stress syndrome. I have PTSD because of the traumas. It's not just a military thing. So I had to go see someone about PTSD um, here in town. Uh, Learn the value of saying no. Get your life back in control. And the only way you can do that is say no to people. Quit saying yes to everything. Your transcript's too full. Slow down. Sabbath rest is biblical. We've got to figure out a way to slow down and say no to something. We say no, say yes to too many things. All right, so let me talk about some physical things. Uh, limit spicy foods, sugar, and caffeine, ta- caffeine intake. If you're more, on more than one monster, meaning zero monsters, uh, you're taking too much caffeine. Um, if you're on more than one monster or Red Bull, you're really taking on too much caffeine. Um, you need to lower your caffeine intake. It's part of what causes anxiety issues. Spicy foods. I learned my lesson the hard way today. I took sausage balls this morning for breakfast and went to Zaxby's for lunch. And I've been nervous all day long. (laughs) That's, again, I'm on antacids. Uh, Find a light exercise program. Let me say a quick word on some of the ways that we relieve stress and anxiety is to cut. Can I just give you an alternative to that if that's an issue? Self-harm is something that you consider doing. Can I just suggest to you push-ups and sit-ups can give you the exact same euphoric feeling? And your body will look amazing if you'll do that. I'm just, I've suggested it to one of my youth group f- girls in Texas a long time ago. And things started slimming up. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go any further than that. But um, there are some physical alternatives that God has given you. I run. That's the way I do it. My legs hurt. Um, and I walk around sore. But I'm trying to work on my body. And, but those same euphoric feelings of pain that God releases um, self-harm, there's an alternative to that. Get a good night's sleep. Take a deep breath. Full breath, big belly. Feeling full helps. It releases endorphins and helps you feel better. Uh, Journaling. Some of you guys aren't very good journalers. I'm not either, but I do journal. Chew gum is another option. It's the same thing as this thing. This is a post-traumatic stress thing. This is called EMDR. These are tappers. Um, It's like doing this. It just distracts me. But I can use these. I chew gum and do the exact same thing so you don't have to buy a $200 piece of equipment. You can just chew gum. Um, One of my daughters, um, my youngest, that's what I do with her when she has anxiety issues. She chews gum. Uh, One more, and I know we ran a little long and I apologize for that, Ryan, but uh, right here, feel right here on your clavicle, right below it. Feel rub right there. It'll calm you down. So, right before a test two things peppermint um, or gum and then this right here will help you it'll help you, you know don't rub yourself raw when you get a blister but <laughs> um but that'll help too so I like I said I'm a work in progress um all this stuff is here to try to help me navigate that so Ryan I again we got a few minutes let's see if we can get a few questions
1: <laughs> Can you pull up a stool, my man? Is that a, or if you yeah. want to stand, whatever you think. Um, man, thank you so much for sharing your heart uh, and just for being so honest. This is so important, guys. It's it's not Christianity is not, you know, we've got everything together and then we go to Jesus, right? And we talk about that all the time. But to see it in other people who do not have it all together, yet they still go before the throne of Jesus, that's so encouraging and helpful. So thank you, Brent, for your honesty. Um, I want to recommend two resources to you real quick, and then we're going to get in a couple questions with Brent. The first one is a book. I know it's oh cool. Thanks, Ryan. Um, but a book that I think is so helpful. It is called, and I think it's up here, it is called Afraid of All the Things, Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel for. Um, super engaging book. This woman who wrote it, her name is Scarlett Hiltbadal. Uh, I bought it a couple days ago, And it is absolutely tearing through me. It is so good. She has wrestled with anxiety since her parents divorced when she was five. And she had she didn't have that stability growing up that she was supposed to have, so she compensated for it in other areas. And all throughout her life, the gospel just continues to be taught to her by other folks. Okay? By others. Was it some magic moment, but she talks about all these different things that she stresses about and goes through. And it's just an incredible. How she reminds herself over and over that Jesus has her back, that Jesus is her guide. Um, spring break's coming up, just something to do during that time. But again, I know books are like, ho, oh, 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 but I'm serious. But like, it's so helpful. I think this is so helpful. The other thing, write this down if you, or, or put it in your phone or whatever. There's a sermon on YouTube by a guy named Tim Keller called The Wounded Soul, Okay. The wounded soul. It's this idea of these different roots of anxiety is not just chemical. It's not just faith-based. It's not just physical. It's all these different factors. So how do we work on that in different ways? Does that make sense? So Tim Keller, the wounded soul, and then um, afraid of all the things. Let me open my handy-dandy wind-shaped journal. there. There we go. Okay. Brent, you spoke on a, several things that I, that I really, really enjoyed. And one of the things that you talked about early on is that f- you talked about how family is so important, how friends is so important. Just, re- you know, nobody ever came to you and told you, you're really good at this, or I'm really proud of you, or I think you're just doing such a good job. And, and at a young age, you needed that and you didn't have it. This is one way that these guys can impact each other. And themselves. Can you just speak a little bit more to that for for one to two minutes about the importance of helping each other through just positive reinforcement and that sort of thing?
0: Uh, Community is biblical. Um, The hardest part about doing community is being vulnerable. There was a brief period of time in my high school career, um, sophomore year, where my youth pastor got seven guys together and we started memorizing scripture together. He quit went to adult education, but we kept meeting together periodically, but it wasn't until my senior year that we really started having those difficult conversations, like guy-type conversations. But it took some serious vulnerability for us to do that. Out of that group, five of us, out of that seven, I think four of us are in ministry um, doing some form of ministerial work. But I think it was being, encouraging each other to do the right thing. But that takes, it's scary, it's scary, because it takes vulnerability. You have to be able to trust and be honest. And in the world we live in, honesty is not something we often do publicly. Mm-hmm. Most of it's done privately. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think you know. Have you ever gotten like an encouraging text randomly from someone and be like, "Wish you hadn't sent me that." Like, no, no one. Thank you, Lauren. No one is ever like, yeah. "Oh, why did you send me that?" But like, but we don't ever. But we don't ever do that. Does that make sense? Like, we don't ever feel like the need to encourage somebody. Does that make sense? Or to just come alongside someone. So I encourage you guys to do that, as well as in family. That's huge. Spouse, uh, spouses, but also like brothers and sisters and siblings, like encourage one another. Come alongside. That's what we're for, is to come alongside each other and encourage each other. And that, on that note, Brent, so... Maybe some, someone here, I, I don't know if I'm feeling anxious, I don't, I don't know if I have depression, I'm not really sure, I don't really know what to look for. Who should they talk to about that? Um, family maybe, pastoral staff maybe, friends can get kind of tricky because none of your, your friends are great, but they haven't had training, does that make sense? Like, so how, who should they ask about, hey, this is what I'm going through, mm-hmm. is, is this what that is?
0: Don't ask Alexa. Don't ask Siri. Okay, and don't yeah. ask Google. Okay, because Google will tell you you're going to die in about six weeks. <laughs> all right. Um, just that's don't do that because it'll the hypochondriac part of us and the mind will start running. Nice. Um, find an adult you trust. If you feel like you can talk to your parents about it, talk to them. Um, you may need to go to a physician and just get a basic checkup, physical. Just They may ask you some questions, blood work, just to make sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, going to a psychiatrist was one of the best experiences I ever did because it helped me work through my process and argue with someone on the, med- on the medical side to get some help that I desperately mm-hmm. needed. Family doctors can't always do that, but they can be a great start. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan would be a great asset to you. I would love to be an asset to you just to kind of talk mm-hmm. through that. Some of our anxiety and depression, the, the medical community, the world right now wants to say, you're all anxious and you all need to be on medication. That's, that was the New York Times article from a couple of days ago. Increased anxiety amongst your generation. Yes, but not all of us have to go through that process. Some of it's just working through life and doing life together, I think might help too. Mm-hmm. So talking, letting cries for help, asking someone for help, but make sure it's the right people too
1: yeah um, in that same vein uh, dr. Baskin will be here for for a few minutes after just if you guys want to talk offline or with questions or comments or, yeah. or resources and things like that um, dr. Baskin, if you would allow we'd love to pray for you um, and then I'll run through announcements and we'll be good to go okay so let's pray together um,